angels featured prominently at the beginning and end of Jesus' earthly life, announcing both his birth and his resurrection. But those weren't their only roles. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares how angels served Christ throughout his first coming and will be of further service in his glorious second coming. To introduce the conclusion of his message, Angels and Jesus, here's David. You know, the Bible is such an exciting book, and the more you study it, the more things you see that just jump into your heart and help you understand the structure. And the Bible says that God's Word will never return unto him void. We're experiencing some of the wonderful evidences of the power of the Word of God every day here at Turning Point right now. And certainly, this is on display in this story of the angels. The angels and Jesus... We've discovered that wherever Jesus is in a crisis, the angels are there. They don't always intervene. Sometimes they don't, but they're there, and they're there to help him, and they are associated with him in almost all the major things of his life, his resurrection, the Garden of Gethsemane, his ascension, his return. So the angels and Jesus is a good summary discussion of angels, and we'll get to it in just a moment. Hey, friends, we're almost out of time to tell you about these exciting resources for the month of November. Uh, During November, if you uh, send a gift to help us, we will send you the book on angels, which is a 240-page softcover book that will help you separate fact from fiction about angels. It's the curriculum for the material we've been teaching during this month. You can have that book by just sending a gift of any size and saying, uh, here's my gift and send me the book on angels. If you'd rather have something else, here's the something else. Why the Nativity? The movie is now our resource number two for the month of November. If you would like to have the movie, the whole movie on DVD, we'll send it to you this month for a gift of any size. All you have to do is say, please send me the movie when you send your gift. That's the opportunity we have, and it's going to go away in a couple of days. So don't wait. Make sure you get your gift in the mail today. Here is Angels and Jesus, part two. Thirty years after the birth of Jesus, we next find the angels involved in his life. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and then he faced three intense temptations from Satan. And the angels were there, and they ministered to him. Did you know that? It says in Mark 1:13, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, And the angels ministered to him. Matthew 4.11 adds, Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Please note that the angels did not minister to Jesus during his temptation, but after it was completed. He waged his warfare against the enemy in the power of the Holy Spirit, unaided by anyone. But when the battle was over and the victory had been won... We are told that the angels came and ministered to him. And the word ministered in the New Testament language carries with it the idea of the spreading out of a table, of nourishment and of strength. Remember, Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and I can see the angels coming down from glory, bringing angel food cake, right? That's what you would expect. In fact, someone has suggested that what happened to Jesus was very much like what happened to Elijah when the angels ministered to him. You've probably forgotten that, but look it up with me. 1 Kings 19, 
Elijah, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. I think that's sort of what happened to Jesus after the temptation was over. The angels came down and spread out a table and ministered to him and encouraged him and strengthened him. Number four, the angels also attended Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus had withdrawn from the other disciples and was left alone with Peter, James, and John, we are told that he began to enter into his agony. Do you comprehend that? Do you know what that means? The three disciples had never seen anything like this before in their whole lives, and they had watched Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. They didn't know what it was about. In fact, when they tried to describe what they saw in the Garden of Gethsemane, they seemed at a loss for words. One of them said, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Another one said, he began to be sore amazed and very heavy. And still another one said, and being in agony. The Bible says that his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Oh, the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Great scholars and Bible teachers have tried to unravel what that was all about. And we must all of us say there's a mystery about it that we cannot comprehend. It was certainly not Jesus asking to be excused from the cross because that's the reason for which he was born. But the best ideas that I have been able to find have to do with the fact that it was there in his humanity for the very first time since he walked upon this earth that it suddenly dawned on Jesus Christ what it meant to take the sin of the whole world upon him. And as he staggered under the weight and load of that and the separation from his father, he prayed in his human way, Lord, if there's some other way, but not my will, but thine be done. The writer of Hebrews summarizes the anguish that Jesus felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Hebrews 5, 7, he writes, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. And Luke tells us, listen up class, Luke tells us that in the midst of this intense agony, watch this, Jesus was ministered to by an angel. Luke 22, 43 and 44. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The word strengthen here means to invigorate, to make strong, to make firm. Now it's interesting that it was in the very garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and he was ministered to by an angel. And you remember the story of how they came to arrest him. And Jesus reminded them that it was only because the Father in heaven allowed it that they could put a finger on him. Do you remember that passage which is the basis for the song? It's Matthew 26 and verse 53. Jesus is speaking and he says, Do you think I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? And I have to stop here and tell you that sometimes the writer of hymns and gospel songs have wonderful lyrics that aren't totally biblical, but they take poetic license with the words. Now, I need to explain what I'm saying. How much is a legion? Well, a Roman legion was 6,000 men. Jesus said that at his word, more than 72,000 angels would be sent to his aid. But we can't sing 
he could have called 72,000 angels because it doesn't fit in the rhyme pattern. So we just say 10,000. Maybe we should say 80,000. But it's not 10,000. It's 72,000. And I'm overwhelmed when I read that because the Bible says that all Jesus had to do was say the word and 72,000 angels would have been there in a moment. Billy Graham, in his book on angels, has reminded us that the angels would have come to the cross to rescue the king of kings, but because of his love for the human race and because he knew it was the only way through his death that they could be saved, he refused to call for their help. The angels were under orders not to intervene at this terrible holy moment. Even the angels could not minister to the Son of God at Calvary. He died alone in order to take the full death penalty that you and I deserved. There's some things you have to do alone. And this was one of them for the Son of God. If the angels had intervened, you and I would still be in our sin, wouldn't we? Once again, there are hymns and songs that speak of this. The hymn writers have captured this. And some of the real old hymns I'd like to mention to you, but most of you wouldn't remember them. They're older than I remember. But even some of the more popular gospel songs mention this moment in the life of Jesus. For instance, J. Wilbur Chapman wrote a hymn called One Day. And in that hymn, he has Jesus alone in the garden. But then the angels came down then to keep sacred vigil, weighted with sin, my redeemer is he, says the lyric. And Don sang, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and for me. Yes, angels attended him in Gethsemane, but here's one we all know from Easter. Angels affirmed his resurrection, didn't they? Angels were involved everywhere in the resurrection story. It was an angel that rolled away the stone from the mouth of Jesus' sepulcher. Matthew 28, 2. There was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. It was an angel that appeared to the two Marys who arrived at Jesus' tomb early on resurrection morning. Matthew 28, 5 and 7, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And then in Matthew 28, 3 and 4, we're told what they look like. It says, His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. It was two angels that Mary saw when she looked into the tomb. John tells us about that in John chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. You see all these angels everywhere. And then they said to her, John 20, 13 and 14, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And what would the Easter Resurrection Sunday be without the music that has been written to celebrate our Lord's victory over death? Oh, there's so many of them. Even in gospel hymns that are not considered to be Easter songs, like Lead Me to Calvary, Show Me the Tomb Where Thou Wast Laid, Tenderly Mourned and Wept. Angels in robes of light arrayed guarded thee whilst thou slept. Christ the Lord is risen today. Sons of men and angels say, Alleluia, Alleluia. All oh, the music of the resurrection story is punctuated with mentions of God's holy angels. And then angels are associated with him in his ascension. It is interesting in light of our recent discussion of angels and death 
to look at a verse of scripture that I found in my week of study that's at the end of the book of Luke talking about the ascension of the Lord Jesus and I want you to hear it carefully. Listen carefully. And Jesus led the disciples out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them, and here's the key phrase, and carried up into heaven. Who carried him up into heaven, class? The blessed holy angels did. That's part of their responsibility, isn't it? We've learned about that while we were studying Lazarus, how he was transported to heaven by the holy angels, and even Jesus in his ascension was carried up into heaven by the angels of God. In fact, this carrying was done by the angels, and the record in Acts seems to support their involvement. Acts 1, 10, and 11 while the disciples looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And of course, last but not least, the angels will accompany Jesus at his second coming. If you think our study has been punctuated with the mention of Jesus in his first advent, you ought to see how many times they show up in his second advent. In fact, the word angel is found 61 times in the book of Revelation, more than any other book in the Bible. It is just about every page, angels everywhere. Because when the Lord comes back the second time, the angels are going to have an even more intense involvement with his coming. What's the next event on the prophecy calendar class? It's the rapture, isn't it? And the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 that that's going to happen like this. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and what? With the voice of an archangel. An angel is going to tell everyone in the world that the rapture is coming. God's going to catch up his own into his presence. And then the angels are going to accompany him when he comes back the second time. Now, if you're with us in the prophetic scheme, you understand that when the rapture takes place, only the church goes up. Seven years later, after the tribulation, the Lord comes back in what we call the second coming. And when he comes back, the Bible tells us that all God's saints who have been raptured will come with him. But that's not all who's coming with him. Watch what it says in Mark 8:38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father, say it out loud, with his holy angels. Matthew sixteen twenty seven, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. The angels are also going to act as agents of judgment when the Lord comes back the second time. God's going to dispatch them to take care of some mop-up duty, if you will. It says in Matthew 13, 49 and 50, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the just. Cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 24, 31 says, he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now there's seven mountain peaks in the life of Jesus. The anticipation of his birth, the announcement of his birth, his temptation by Satan, his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again to this earth. And I have such a curious mind when I study theology. I absolutely refuse to study theology for theology's sake alone. I absolutely refuse to believe that there's anything in the Word of God 
that I need to know that doesn't have something to do with me today as I walk my life in this earth. I absolutely refuse to do it. And that's good for you. Because if I accepted that, you'd get a lot of theology with no application, and I don't want that ever to happen. We're not just to be smart about the Bible. God's given us the Bible to encourage and strengthen us and help us to learn how to walk. And I'll tell you what, if you will let your heart wander just a bit, there is a source of blessing in these truths that is beyond anything we've talked about up to this point in this series. Let me ask you a question. Why are the angels so involved with our Lord in his earthly ministry? What reason can we find in Scripture to help us understand this intense expression of angelic love? Let's face it, they show up in every critical point in the redemption story related to Jesus. Well, I think part of the answer is found in history. The birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension of Christ were to the angels stupendous realities. Their interest and devotion to the Lord of glory is measured to some degree by the worship they have offered him from their creation to the present hour. Let me ask you a question. What were the angels doing until Jesus was sent into this world? From what we believe to be the first day of creation when they were created, all the way through the period of time in the Old Testament, all the way through the time up until the incarnation of Jesus, what was their holy occupation? Worshiping the Lord God. And someone has written that even the most godly follower of Christ cannot possibly understand what it must have been like for the angels to look directly and continually upon the face of the Lord of glory. But that's what the angels' experience was. They beheld the Lord of glory, and there was no veil between them and the Lord. They worshipped him. They worshipped him looking upon his face as we shall do someday throughout eternity. They worshipped him, and they loved him. And that worship and love would not in any way be degraded when he was assigned by his father to come to this earth. The fact that they were occupied in worshiping him for all of those years would certainly create an intense desire on their part to see what he would do when he would come to this world, looking from the angel's point of view. I think part of the answer is found in history. I'm reminded that if we learn to worship the Lord like that in our own lives, we will learn to love him and there won't be anything about him we won't want to know. We will study him and love him and learn about him. But I think also, and again, you just have to think about this like you were looking at it through angel eyes. I think the second part of the answer is not only in history, but in curiosity. Walk with me for a moment through this line of thinking. The angels had seen the Son of God in his deity, but never till now had they seen him enshrined in humanity. God incarnate? This was new to them. They had seen their Lord as the governor of the universe, but never until now as a subject. He was obeying his own law as if he were a mere creature and in that attitude of a servant. And this was new to them. They'd never seen this before. They had seen Jesus frown Satan right out of his presence and hurl him to perdition. But never until now had they seen him encountering Satan in conflict and prolonged temptation. This was new to them. They had seen thousands of people worship and adore and love Jesus. But never until now had they seen him insulted and reproached and mistreated by his creatures. 
groaning in Gethsemane, crucified between two thieves and dying as a sacrificial victim. This was new to them. They had seen him supremely happy and glorious, but not until now had they seen him agonize. Had they heard that dying wail and beheld him a bloody corpse and all this to save a world which had revolted against him. Friends, this was new to them. Can you understand coming at it from an angel's perspective? All of your whole existence from the first day of creation until the day Jesus was sent into this world, all you did was worship the Son of God. And then one day the news rattled around heaven's halls that God the Father had a plan that included the sending of his beloved Son into this world to become a man. Can you imagine the angels who had worshipped him from day one not being interested in what that was all about? And watching and observing and being there at the will of God the Father in heaven to be there at every moment when there was a need. If the ultimate purpose of the angels is to glorify our Lord and bring honor to his name, then I would expect that my heart as I study them in their relationship to Jesus would be drawn to Jesus And I need to tell you it has been. Just think about it for a moment, people. How thankful I am that he came. Born into my world to redeem me from sin. Satan would have given anything to keep Jesus from being born into the world of men. That was the beginning of the redemption story from humanity's sake. How encouraged I am that he overcame Satan in temptation. I read that story in Matthew chapter 4 and I'm overwhelmed because the way Jesus overcame temptation in the wilderness is exactly the way I must do it. How do I do that? It is written, he said. He used the word of God. How moved I am by the record of his agony in the garden. The suffering of sweat drops like blood falling to the ground. And it was for me. I can't lose sight of that. It was for this man that Jesus agonized in the garden. How blessed I am that the angels did not intervene in the garden, but withheld their assistance so that Christ would die on the cross. If they had intervened, I would still be in my sin. And how triumphant I am when I think about the angels and their message from the empty tomb. He is not here He is risen. He is risen indeed. How excited I am when I think of the holy angels accompanying him when he comes again. If I don't survive this veil of tears, either because of death or rapture, by the grace of God, I shall be with him when he comes back. And who knows, I might be flying between two angels because they're coming too. How exciting to look at the life of our Lord and to see that God gave us a visual aid. If you read the life of Jesus, everywhere you see an angel in his life, you can mark it down. It's a very, very important point in the scheme of God's redemption of lost men. Amen. You know, every day I like to tell you that 
all this material that we study, all these things from the Word of God, they all have kind of a point to them. And that is to point to you and where you are in your relationship. Don't be just a student of the Bible. Be a Christian. Be somebody who knows Jesus in your own life. If you don't know him, will you accept him today as your Savior? Will you open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have failed and I'm sorry for my sin. But Jesus, I want to be forgiven. I want to be a Christian. I want you to come and live in my life and change me from the inside out. And if you will come into my heart, I will receive you and I will follow you and I will live for you. You pray that prayer, the Lord Jesus will hear. He never turns anybody down. He never says no. He always says, yes, I'm coming in. And he will live within your life and you will be a different person. Let us know if you make that decision because we have a lot of material to help you get started. And uh, whatever you do, uh, don't forget to be with us tomorrow as we talk about angels and you. I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God using this ministry in your life? Write and tell us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. Uplifting and helpful, it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude the series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, on Turning Point. Angels are a fascinating topic, and yet with all the theories concerning them, how can we know what's fact and what's fiction? In his book called Angels, Dr. David Jeremiah uses scripture to help readers of all ages understand the truth about these agents of heaven. You'll receive angels with our thanks for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for a donation of $70 or more, we'll send you the Angels set, which includes a book, study guide, and CD album. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance. This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. Looking back through history, I am always amazed at what men have done to one another in the name of religion. There have been terrible battles, wars, inquisitions, and acts of prejudice all in the name of one religion or another. It's no wonder that Jesus Christ himself was not a huge fan of the religion of his day. 
It's often been said that religion is man reaching out to God, whereas Christianity is God reaching out to man. Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. So make sure the spiritual focus of your life is on a relationship with Christ above everything else. And this is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover a relationship with God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.